Well, someone had to take the first snaps, right? Well, Garbers won the job. What is each quarterback's role going to look like, in my opinion, for this first week's game against Coast Carolina? Well, we'll talk about that on Locked On UCLA. You are Locked On UCLA, your daily podcast on the UCLA Bruins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to this edition of the Locked On UCLA podcast. I'm your host, Zach Anderson Yoxheimer. Thanks for making this show your first listen each and every day. It's free where we get your podcast, and it's available on YouTube. Like, comment, and subscribe because if you're an everydayer, you would have known that UCLA's already announced their starting quarterback. Basketball is currently about to end their Spain trip, and then everything in between with the start of the athletic and academic year. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sports book of Locked On. Make every moment more. By visiting fanduel.com slash locked on, new customers can get $5 and bet $5 and get 200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Go to FanDuel right now to get started. FanDuel.com slash locked on. All right, so where are we going to start today for Locked On UCLA? Well, I kind of just rambled and emotionally ranted yesterday about three quarterbacks going to be used in game one for UCLA from Garbers to Moore. Which seems, in my mind, a bit backwards in terms of trying to evaluate the quarterbacks. They all bring their unique sense of skills. They all have some sort of uh, something they can bring to the table, right? Some sort of intangible, something on the field, everything that Chip Kelly wants to one, keep them there and happy, whether he wants to admit it or not, despite what his quotes might be in the Pactual Media Day. And two, they can all contribute in a meaningful way, at least against Coast Carolina, before this gets ridiculous down the stretch while the Bruins continue to evaluate who will be the starting quarterback in 2023 and arguably beyond, considering all these guys have an extra year of eligibility. So where does this leave the UCLA Bruins in this three-quarterback battle in week one, right? They're not going to necessarily split all three evenly in game one. That's just not going to happen. I think we can all see past that. But what is each quarterback's role, right? Is it possible that you see Garbers and you see more split the roles, split the reps evenly while Garbers gets the bulk of the first couple of drives and then Moore comes in later and gets all that? Or will you get the likes of Garbers getting two-thirds of the snaps, more coming in, and then you see Schley in a certain role at, in certain packages, whether it be special teams. Yeah, I'll tell you more about special teams in a moment. And in running plays for Colin Schley. Well, let's start with Ethan Garbers. He won the job. The redshirt junior had to sit a couple of years behind DTR, come in in relief a couple of times with DTR out, and has played you know pretty well in those moments but we haven't seen him play as much on the field as we would have liked before having him get his first career collegiate starts. As Chip Kelly would say, he's the starter and someone had to take the first snaps as he did when he announced that Garbers was the starter, which means that already people are sitting across the, the Twitter verse, the whatever it's called X. I don't even know anymore. People are already hounding Dante Moore. Is he going to transfer? Is he legit? Is he a fraud? People maybe a little bit more in tune with the situation would say, well, it's a true freshman, and UCLA generally does not, over their program's history, of course, it's different coaches and different players, but they're just not been a team that's had a true freshman starting quarterback since Josh Rosen 
and as exciting as he was, was his career really that outstanding at UCLA in terms of team success? So while we want to see the individual shine, we do want to see the team play well. I wanted to see Dante start. We all wanted to see more start. And we might still be able to do that. But Garbers is the man right now. And in terms of just sheer accuracy, in terms of being able to just read the, the defense, play Chip Kelly's offense, he, he has to know it in and out, be that leader, which is what the Bruins need on the on the field come Saturday night against Coastal Carolina, which is why I'll think Garbers is probably going to take the first two or three drives before we see more. And in my mind, I think they give Garbers at least three drives. And then at some point, late first quarter, maybe second quarter, depending on the situation, we see Dante Moore. This is just sheer, my opinion, not anything of truly read, just kind of trying to dive in. How would you game plan to use multiple quarterbacks. I've seen the best case scenario. I've seen the worst case scenario in college football when it comes to how quarterbacks are used. I've seen it where one quarterback comes in for a st- for one drive, gets yanked, and doesn't play again, and they go with the true freshman. I've seen it all in college football at various levels. So while Chip Kelly says one thing and how it plays out on Saturday night could be something completely beyond our belief. I think Garbers gets three drives. Moore gets one or two in the first half. And if UCLA's winning in a lopsided battle, if the defense is playing well, I'm going to be a little skeptical depending on how good the defense can be right, play right away against a very good quarterback in Grayson McCall on the other side. I think this game will be a lot closer than what we think, but it'll be a very entertaining game. It's just up to the offense, whoever's playing quarterback, to rush up and down the field and score at will like we hope they do, like they did in the second half against Bowling Green to start 2022. So Garbers, I think we'll get a couple of passing plays. We'll see the running back cycle in early between Harden, Steele, see all the receivers, get some early opportunities for some easy pitch and catch opportunities to run down the field and showcase what they got against an actual opponent that's not themselves in practice. Dante Moore, now that's an interesting one, right? Could it be a full split with reps more evenly between those two and then Schley comes in? It's a tough situation, right? I think Moore will get an ample opportunity. I'm not sure if it'll be um, completely lopsided in Garber's favor. I do think it'll be maybe just a little less than two-thirds opportunity for Garber's, and then you give Moore a good chunk of snaps. But if Garber's completely comes out and does not do well the first few drives, we will see Dante Moore, right? If the first three drives for Garbers or three and out, maybe a first down, three and out, then we will see Dante Moore. I'm just not entirely sure, considering the way the Chip Kelly offense rolls, that that will happen. Because remember, the Bruins started so horribly against Bowling Green last year. Of course, they all knew who was going to be starting and playing quarterback, receiver, the top running back. We all knew all those things. They just played absolutely crappy to start that game against Bowling Green. But differently in a quarterback battle, if Garber struggles, Moore will get that opportunity. So it depends how Garber's plays in the first few drives. In terms of Moore, I'm not sure if they'll give him a quick hook, if it'll be a few drives, and then what happens. It just depends how the freshman reads the game. And you'll just know when Moore steps on the field, whether it's in the third quarter, the fourth quarter, the second quarter, the first quarter, whenever he gets that opportunity to take that first snap, the Rose Bowl, the, the game broadcast, everybody. It's just going to be electric. There will be a certain buzz when he steps on the field. Even if it's just to hand it off up the middle, there will be some 
different ambiance. The atmosphere will just be a little bit more electric once the true freshman steps on the field. And it might not even be for something super dramatic, but if he does something in this game on like the first or second play, you can already hear the fans. I'm closing my eyes. Just, oh, what? Really? But if Garbers goes down the field and leads the Bruins in three straight touchdown drives, then you'll hear the fans also be like, well, all right, well, we see why he won the job and Moore just has to wait for a little bit until something is proven otherwise. Because beyond just week one, there's still another 11 regular season games in elsewhere, depending on how the Bruins fare in the Pac-12 season and in the regular season. But the more interesting one is Colin Schleep. How is he going to be utilized, right? Because you could have seen two quarterbacks play a dual quarterback system. Even Schley had to deal with that at, at Kent State. But the fact that Schley is going to get used in certain packages in this game kind of was puzzling, right? You wondered, all right, is Schley, what's he doing? He was already been in college four years through playing at Kent State, coming over to UCLA. Well, what's he going to do for the Bruins? Well, obviously throw the ball. He's the best Bruins dual threat option in the top three that Chip Kelly has listed, right? Between Schley, Garbers, and more. I know there's a lot of hype about the athleticism of Justin Martin, but in terms of those top three, it is Colin Schley who's got the best dual threat option. He's got about 700 yards rushing in his career, eight or nine rushing touchdowns between a couple of seasons prior to coming to UCLA and being one of the key starters for Kent State, key players at QB Last year, and he had to deal with the pro-style offense, too, but he was also utilized in running packages. So you'll see when the Bruins want to rank, have a little bit of a wrinkle, right? And while he's not DTR, he can use that dual-threat ability to change things. And while the accuracy probably isn't there for him to win the starting job that's been talked about, he, he could still probably hit someone down the field and mess with the defense that's got a game plan for now three quarterbacks in various opportunities. And I teased this earlier in the segment where Colin Schley is someone who could help on special teams. Am I saying he's going to go make a tackle? No. There's a time, there's a few times in Kent State's most recent season where Schley actually punted the ball three times. Remember, the Bruins don't have Nick Barmere anymore. They have a new kicker and they have a new punter, which not doesn't mean that Schley's going to go win the, the kicking job as a punter. But when it comes to fourth and short, right, and it's on their own 45, it's on the opponent's 45. You're obviously out of field goal range and in some sort of middle territory on the field. And you're like, should we go for it? It's fourth and three. You've got Schley who can run it, who can throw it. He punted it three times for an average of 40 yards per, per punt last year. So he's someone that could come in and in a, a rare opportunity, right? This is something that might happen once or twice throughout the season, but execution could flip the field and change the scope of the game. He could come in and simply drill someone deep, leave them pinned back at their own five-yard line if he executes. You do that once. You bring in Schley on fourth down when you're trying to go for it. He goes for it and gets it. He is going to be that kind of wildcat quarterback rotating option, whether it's going to punt it once or twice. It might not happen that many times this year, but he can and will at some point, I believe, do it in 2023. might happen once, but I believe it'll happen. He'll go for it on fourth down. You'll be like, where's Dante? Where's, why are they not bringing, obviously not Dante. Where's Garbers? Where's Dante Moore? Where, where, where are they on fourth down? Well, Schley gives them multiple options between a Harden and a steal. And then Schley, if it's fourth and short, to keep it running for the football. And then he can still pass it. So you see some interesting short yardage packages. Schley might be in there for those special teams in fourth downs, specifically in odd spots of the field where you have a little bit to gain to get the first down. 
So Garbers, if he scores on those first couple of drives, will probably solidify his starting job for another week. And then you've got Moore, who I think will take a couple of snaps in the first quarter, second quarter at some point, and then we'll see where the game dictates. But if Garbers doesn't do much in those first few drives, he gets, in my opinion, it'll be a, an interesting one for us UCLA fans, pundits about the quarterbacking decision. And there's been no reports about what the snap count is, right? Chip Kelly said he's going to dictate that later on in the week. And the media doesn't get to watch practice after Tuesday, August 29th. So the last few days of prep before game day, nobody's going to really know what it looks like until the games come to a start. Not that we could really watch the quarterback battle unfold to begin with more than many 15-minute sessions, but the Bruins will have an interesting time developing and battling in what's going to happen. It won't be a three-quarterback split. It probably won't even be a two-quarterback split, but they all have their defined roles, and Garbers will have to lead a, a scoring drive earlier. The fans will be on Chip Kelly. That is what's going to happen if the Bruins don't score early with Garbers at quarterback. So, We'll talk about that more. Speaking of UCLA football, again, I read the Ben Bolch article. He was teasing about it with Crocky J and Carson Steele. And there's more to learn about Carson Steele, right? The One of the college football athletic freaks listed by The Athletic. He is someone that's going to be a, a big part of UCLA running game, obviously, one of the top tailbacks returning in terms of rushing yards, the transfer from Ball State. His Crocky J alligator. What's that story about? We'll tell you more about that coming up next on the Locked On UCLA podcast. This show is brought to you by BetterHelp. There's times where, you know, earlier this year, sometimes I was a little little out of it, not feeling up to par, going through some tough times. And then when there wasn't a clear path forward, I decided to figure out, hey, well, I need some help. I, I need to go and go to therapy. And I was able to trust myself going to therapy and realize, hey, I can learn how to get positive coping skills, set boundaries, and eventually become the best version of myself. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LockedOnCollege today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P com slash locked on college. Second segment of the Locked On UCLA podcast. Zach Anderson, Yoxheimer with you guys. And the Bruins, hey, football season's right around the corner. And there's some cast of characters we need to know. And I've already talked about Carson Steele before, but with a great article coming out from Ben Bolch, I thought, hey, let's talk about this a little bit more. It came out on August 29th, the same day this podcast is dropping. So the LA Times, Ben Bolch, the beat writer for UCLA, talking about how Carson Steele had to go through intense, intense workouts as a youngster to grow and why he wasn't at a power five to begin with, and then that he's got a Crocky J alligator. So how did he get this alligator, right, that's called Crocky J? Well, it was way back when he was a youngster, as detailed in this, I think, very well-written article, very funny article. It was a Christmas gift one one winter, right? He wanted a lizard. He wanted a bearded dragon. And then all of a sudden, his father, maybe having some sort of sense of humor, right, about the situation. All right, he wants a bearded dragon, a lizard, some fun animal. And they already have lots of animals on their farm. They've had ferrets. They've had cats. They have different animals already where they live 
in Indiana. And eventually he ordered his father, Carson's father, ordered the elementary school youngster at the time, Carson Steele, a a dwarf alligator from the internet off a gator farm in Florida. So they had the UPS driver bring it. He thought it was something exotic. And then the alligator started running around only six inches. So it's not like it was this humongous thing at the time. And now it is 80 to 90 pounds. And they've had horses, chickens. They've got an animal farm just south of Indianapolis, cat, fish, rabbits, a bearded dragon. And now they've got Crocky J. None of those animals apparently have run into Crocky J, which is a big, big, you know, buddy, because you have to rope him to feed him. They put him, getting him a warm shower so they can wipe off the the allergy on his back. And there's been little stories where he's, even Carson Stills joked, with Colin Schley, apparently Schley said in the interview one time, look at Carson's thumb, it's been bitten off. And Carson's like, well, the stories are, you know, a little bit outrageous, right? What, what's some crazy animal you've had, right? What, what do you have at home? I'm not sure if anybody has an alligator, especially in Southern California, because Carson was joking about, hey, I might actually bring Crocky J to be my roommate, but, you know, the laws are a little different from Indianapolis, the Indiana area, coming over to California in terms of owning an alligator in your UCLA dorm. I'm I'm not sure how happy the, the coaching staff, the players, anybody, all the rest of the students at UCLA have been happy with just an alligator living on campus. Uh, maybe if you're in the comments uh, watching on YouTube or if you're on social media, what is the most unique pet you've owned that maybe you currently own? I've definitely never had anything more exotic than your typical household pet, like a cat and a dog, maybe a a fish once. But, you know, uh, if you you had a funny pet, just put it in there. Maybe if you're trying to keep it on the down low, I don't know what what you're doing. But the, the article goes on to talk about the work ethic, right? While he was an elementary school kid, he got an alligator. But then he was also eight years old, and his dad, Joseph, had him pushing around cars, right? Had him push around the car, and, you know, you put it in neutral. You push around the car to get that exercise in the neighborhood as an eight-year-old to build the strength and get the motion of a running back driving his body, as the article states from the LA Times, from Ben Bulge. Just to run around. And his dad said, yeah, it's a little ludicrous, but, you know, it's not as hard as people think. So as an eight-year-old, as a youngster, he's owning an alligator. And now he's also pushing cars around, right, as a kid to get strength, to drive. And that's why he is one of the strongest players on UCLA's team, benching, squatting, everything that you can do. And then he'd also be running up hills with a big weighted vest. High school coaches would be like, not even my high schoolers do this crazy routine. And Steele eventually, despite being frustrated as father, once realized I'm actually a lot faster than most of the kids. And while his high school career and his budding recruiting didn't go without some setbacks, right? He blew out a couple of hamstrings. And right when he was about to finish dealing with the hamstring, he actually broke his foot with an awkward catch indoors, just playing catch with his dad. A senior season that with COVID ruined he was Indiana's Mr. Football, a state champion in high school. And yet, despite wanting to go to an LSU or a Kentucky, play in the SEC, there wasn't much recruiting opportunities right when he finished high school. Imagine where he'd be if it wasn't for a couple of unlucky injuries, t- for blowing out his hamstrings, tearing the hamstrings. And then all of a sudden, just the timing when he graduated high school. So he goes to Ball State, 
He's like, they've been loyal to me. Sometimes these smaller schools, whether it be the, the group of fives, the, the much smaller schools in all sports, they just keep tabs on all their local big time recruits. And if something goes wrong, that's how these smaller schools get these talented guys like a Carson Steele. But then once he became one of the toughest, biggest bruising backs in the country in terms of getting brought down, a thousand all-purpose yards as a freshman, one of the near leaders in terms of rushing yards as a sophomore at Ball State, he, he felt that it was time for a bigger challenge. And all of a sudden, he's at UCLA after the transfer portal. So he went to his nearby local Ball State, and now here he's at UCLA on the athletics college football's freaks list in terms of just athletic beast. The long blonde hair, everything rocking and rolling, and along with TJ Harden, a guy who can, in Carson Steele, Bench press 450 pounds, power clean 350, squat 675. I can do, I can lift nothing near any of those weights, any of those pounds. I can't do any of that. So he can get through contact. You mix out TJ Harden, the Bruins 1-2 running back combo. I think UCLA, if the Bruins offensive line can block just a little bit, a little bit, you're going to have a full-on alligator man just running right through the line and just taking it to the house, and then T.J. Harden the other side, and everything in between, what are you going to be afraid of? You wrangle an alligator as your pet, you're going to be afraid of some running, some linebacker running at you if you're Carson Steele? No, no. He's going to fight his way through some holes and get some touchdowns. I thought that was a funny article. There's more to it. Go read it on the LA Times by Ben Bolch. And I was like, well, let's talk about Crocky J, right? Pets, everything. It's at home. He couldn't bring it, so you're not going to see it in the Rose Bowl. Maybe it might be the big pet in the corner one day. I don't know. It is what it is. Maybe the Bruins will be the – they already have the Florida. Who knows? Who actually knows? Imagine if Carson Steele went to Florida for a minute. That that would just be outrageous right now. Anyways, we're glad that he's a Bruin. Coming up, we're going to wrap up with a quick shout-out for the UCLA women who won their final exhibition game by a ridiculous score. We'll talk about that next on Locked on UCLA. Finally, we're talking about FanDuel because – Get the NFL season with incredible offers from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, NFL customers can bet $5 and get 200 in bonus bets guaranteed. And hey, if you bet $5 and get $100 off on NFL Sunday ticket from YouTube and YouTube TV, let me repeat that. All customers who bet $5 will get $100 off NFL Sunday ticket from YouTube and YouTube TV. Join FanDuel right now. It's a super easy-to-use app. and get everything on spreads, player props, and more. FanDuel.com slash locked on. Kick off the NFL season with an offer you don't want to miss. FanDuel, an official partner of the NFL. Last segment of the Locked On UCLA podcast, everything in between. We're going to finish off with the UCLA women who just finished off their foreign trip. And I know they came off a setback of sorts, losing... They had Kiki Rice go down. She was unavailable to play in the final exhibition game right now. They're in Berlin. I believe they play another team from Berlin. And the score, the final score, which just seems utterly ridiculous to talk about right now, but it is. The UCLA women in this game won by over 100. There are seven different UCLA women in their final game in Berlin, mind you, they already went in Senegal and won, lost, and a frustrated team playing without a Kiki Rice won 126 to 23. Not 126, 123, 
They won by 103 points. Seven different players had double figures. Gabby Jaquez had 28 points. Yeah, Christine, who had 24, but Suarez, 17. Muse with 16, Degalic with 15. So all these different players were just pouring in buckets. And it is key to note the UCLA women's basketball Twitter page, at UCLA WBBRX, whatever, whatever, whatever it's called now. It said the Bruins down an illness-ridden T.S. Jan Muk. I, I can't even say the name. An illness-ridden opponent is basically what they said to win their final exhibition match. Isn't that the most ridiculous thing? Speak about being frustrated in losing, maybe getting someone injured, but Kiki Rice is okay, and she just didn't play in this game. And UCLA came out and won by 103 points. You see these scores come out that are utterly ridiculous about high school women's basketball games or girls' basketball games, right? Or, you know, tournament games between, like, eighth-grade teams and teams win by 100 in sportsmanship. And while it did clarify that there is an illness-ridden opponent, I'm not sure if this is how it normally goes. I don't know too much about this team. But still, they wanted to feel the game and play it, and the Bruins won by 100. Like, this is ridiculous. And <laughs> I'm not sure ever anybody believed the scores that are being posted. They're handwritten stats. So nobody really understood what was going on. Yeah, the Bruins are up 89 to 11 or something. I was like, are, are you sure that's right? Are, are we sure? And they go dominate. So I would say a semi-successful exhibition trip for the women who are also all over the world just like the men were. And for the most part, I think avoided injury other than Rice from what I've known. And got some team camaraderie in, some bonding, and got a couple of wins, including arguably the most blowout win they'll have in a very long time. They won 126-23. to Yes, they won by 103 points. And there's probably going to be more stories about it, illness or some something. So it might not even be the full number one team that they were playing, and they just had to bring up their E squad or something. I don't know. And the Bruins won by 103. Maybe you could put in the comments, what is the biggest blowout you've been a part of in your you know, youth coaching, you're playing your adult sports playing history? Have you ever lost by 100 in a rec league game or won by 100 or won by 80? Or maybe your kid's team won by 50 points? I don't know. Everybody's been blown out and won by a blowout. We, we know that. At some point in your athletic career, Maybe you got skunked in pickleball or ping pong or whatever. Man, just put it in the comments. We'll have some hearty little debate and some fun. But the Bruin women coming home with a big win, and we can't wait for that season to start for Corey Close's bunch. Corey Close, Corey. Corey Close's bunch when they come back. All right. If you're an everydayer from the Locked On UCLA podcast, you're going to want to stay tuned. I have a quick short video that talks about UCLA men's basketball and their end of their Spain trip. We'll analyze what the Spain trip means for the entirety of the team, and we're going to build up for, hey, more talking, more game plan opportunities for UCLA to stop Grayson McCall and Coastal Carolina in week one to possibly lead them to victory in 2023. All this and more locked on UCLA in the next couple of episodes. In the meantime, get your hands up, Bruins fans. Eight clap time, baby. And one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, U, C, L, A. UCLA fight, fight, fight. This has been Locked on UCLA. Zach Anderson, Yoxheimer signing off. Go Bruins.